Welcome to Sciadactic. I am Dr. O'Leary, and today is January 22nd, 2024. In this podcast, I explore topics in psychiatry and neuroscience. I typically imagine that medical students, psychiatry residents, and fully grown psychiatrists are my target audience, but all are welcome. I produce this podcast all by myself in my free time. So be aware that the content is generated from my own brain in it's not moderated, it's not fact-checked, it's not approved by anyone else. Everything here is just my opinion, for better or for worse. Today's episode is going to be a little more fun than I'm used to having. A couple years ago, I spent some time researching tattoos for a project that was never completed. And I just realized that it would make a great sidactic episode. I will self-disclose right now that I have two tattoos. I also worked in a tattoo parlor for about one year, during which time I was briefly training to be a tattoo artist. I would like to take this opportunity to apologize to anyone who acted as a canvas for me during this period. I left that particular occupation before completing my training for reasons other than my lack of skill, but that is a story for another time. When I was a child, the vast majority of parents forbade their kids from getting tattoos. Or at the very least, they admonished them that if they ever got a tattoo, they would regret the decision for the rest of their life, be treated like a criminal, and never find a good spouse. Over the last 30 years, there's been a sea change in how society views tattoos. And chances are, if you are an American adult listening to this podcast, you have at least one tattoo. So let me back up a little bit, because I've realized that I have not even yet defined what a tattoo is. And it may seem obvious, but historically, it has had different definitions. So let's start by giving a little history. Tattoos themselves are some kind of indelible mark that's intentionally placed on the skin. Unlike a scar from that fight with the lion you had last week. It involves the introduction of foreign substances into your cutaneous tissue, deep enough that they don't slough off with the rest of your skin, and shallow enough that they can be seen. So this distinguishes tattoos from other marks like brands, scarring, or burns. But often tattoos have or do result in some degree of scarring. I don't want to really argue over whether or not... uh, scarring counts as tattoos or not. That is just semantics. It's the resulting mark that sends some kind of message, and that is the important part. The earliest ink was likely carbon soot from fires that was placed on the skin as the skin was being cut and ground in in order to leave a more permanent or noticeable mark. Imagine burning your deceased child and then rubbing their ashes into your lacerated skin as a keepsake. Since then, various metals or minerals and organic substances have been used, some of which were more or less toxic. Places with modern cosmetic regulations tend to require at least some level of safety to approve the inks, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Evidence for tattoos 
comes from mummies that date between about 5,000 to 6,000 years old. And just because these comprise the earliest evidence doesn't mean that there weren't tattoos before. We just don't have a lot of soft tissues preserved by mummification prior to these times. Some of the earliest tattoos, like those of Otzi, if that's how you pronounce it, he was the Iceman from the Alps, are suggestive of the use of tattoos for medicinal purposes, potentially to relieve pain or to promote healing. Ancient acupuncture really had very little semblance to what is done today, and they used much more blunt tools that were fashioned from bones and stones or wood, and these most likely resulted in permanent scarring. The scars potentially retained at least some of their healing power or ability to direct chi through the body. A frequent motif in the early female tattoos is that they were kind of located in the lower abdomen or in the pelvic area, so that might be associated with some kind of fertility. I mean, similarly to the magical nature of the conception of birth, tattoos may also have imparted some kind of protection or supernatural abilities. Prominently displayed tattoos may also have been associated with someone's social status. They could distinguish between the ruling class and slaves, married and available people, widows and widowers from the never-married. They may have signified accomplishments or abilities or some kind of group membership. Let's not forget that they also might just be a way to look cool or to look pretty. What we do know is that tattooing was, before it was banned by certain religions, a widespread global rage with very deep history. Emperor Constantine, around 1750 years ago or so, banned tattoos, and this negative association really has persisted in Western forms of Christianity up until modern times. Eastern Christianity has been more accepting of the practice, especially for religious purposes, such as like putting crosses on their bodies. As a child, I was taught that my body is some kind of temple, and tattoos are a desecration of the temple, kind of like graffiti. But these ideas have lost a lot of their sway within the U.S. in the last few decades. Um, they're still prominent in some locations, in some cultures and religions. Most of Islam, as well as Orthodox Jews, ban permanent tattoos. But Buddhists and Hindus have historically embraced tattoos, both permanent and temporary, with the use of henna, especially for religious purposes. And there are many tribal societies that use tattoos or have used tattoos. In Western culture, it was sailors who seemed to initially have started the reintroduction of tattoos back into the West. And I know this is a stereotype, but it does have some historical basis. So after the Europeans invaded the Polynesian islands in the 1500s, sailors slowly began to return with souvenirs in their skin. The word we use for tattoo is also likely derived from a Tahitian and Samoan word, tatau, or the Marquesan word, tattoo, which referred to the process of hammering the skin with a sharp stick, impressing ink into it. Prior to this, tattoos in the West were called stigma, which referred to a Greek term, stetsin, with a similar meaning to tattoo. In early English, stigma also meant to brand the skin with a hot iron. Stigmata also referred to marks or 
pains in the hands where Jesus was punctured with the stake. So while ink forms of stigmata were banned by the church, the holy versions were celebrated. When we say something has stigma now, we mean that it's associated with something undesirable. It is historically significant that stigma was initially a mark on the skin and later became a mark of antisocial tendencies. Tattoos had long been considered taboo, and ironically taboo is another word derived uh, from Polynesia, most likely from Tonga, which roughly means forbidden. In Christian culture, tattoos were taboo because they were stigma, signs of paganism, hedonism, and immorality. The stigma and taboo nature of tattoos in Western Christianity was adopted by early racists. Pseudoscientific race theorists saw tattoos as primitive and vulgar, just a vestige of human races destined to fade into history with the rise of the white man. In the modern West, tattoos have a long history of marking members of the outgroup, uh, both willingly and by force. The infamous use of tattoos by the Nazis to mark Jews during World War II is a modern example of the stigma that tattoos have historically retained. In psychiatry in particular, the association of tattoos with depravity and psychopathology has deep roots. These attitudes and beliefs about tattoos have resulted in an indelible legacy of discrimination that in some degree continues today, despite tattoos' increasing popularity. Early psychiatrists associated tattoos with throwbacks to primitive humanity, just like the racists. An 1896 paper by W.A. McCorn in the American Journal of Psychiatry echoed the claims of Cesar Lambroso, a physiognomist and proponent of the idea that like, criminality is inherited and a criminal is identifiable by their atavistic physical traits and their associated behaviors, of which tattooing was one. Atavistic traits are those that just are kind of a throwback to a former time. I'm going to quote McCorn here. The indulgence in the practice of tattooing is often due to idleness and association with those of low mental type, unquote. Later, a paper describing tattooing among men reporting for military duty during World War II concluded that Psychopathology or social or emotional maladjustment is significantly higher among tattooed than among non-tattooed men. This conclusion is of practical significance to neuropsychiatrists stationed at induction boards, affording a clue to some selectees meriting more careful study. Part of the reasons to reject a military recruit included homosexuality, and the author stated that there is a reason to suspect strongly homosexual inclinations among tattooed men. So if you were tattooed, you were likely homosexual and therefore couldn't serve in the military. Later, in 1955, an article published in the Psychiatric Quarterly associated tattoos with personality disorders and postulated that while tattooing was once an important form of social communication in primitive societies, Contemporary bearers represented those unable to advance into modern society. Here I'll quote. Thus, the tattoo has become a crest of those who are out of the mainstream of society, of those unable to gain sufficient satisfaction from and to adjust to 
more highly developed mores. Tattooing has become a popular group activity among such people, especially under military or penal conditions." Unquote. The authors continue on to reference studies they say associate tattoos with criminality, homosexuality, narcissism, and masochistic exhibitionist drives. So let's fast forward from 1955 all the way to 1983, where we should expect ideas like this have been quashed. But not so much. A psychiatrist named Grumet published his treatise on tattoos and cataloged a long history of psychiatric speculation on the meaning of tattoos. He called tattoos, quote, a frequently overlooked source of substantial diagnostic information, unquote. He defines tattoos as, quote, cutaneous expressions of unconscious impulses rooted in the magical and omnipotent fantasies of childhood, unquote. Tattoos, he wrote, are, and I quote again, a prosthetic attempt to strengthen one's sense of ego definition, unquote. He cites many studies purporting to confirm his suspicions of psychopathology among the tattooed. I quote again, Not surprisingly, these reports show that the tattooee has more frequently had criminal convictions, most commonly robbery, burglary, or larceny, is more frequently rejected from military service, has a history of family discord, impoverishment, and school dropout, with heightened hostility and antisociality. Adolescent boys are found to be more insecure and depressed, while tattooed adolescent girls are noted to be a particularly troubled group, more masculine, aggressive, and recalcitrant. The tattoo bearer frequently harbors a personality disorder." Unquote. He summarizes everything by saying, quote, In our own culture, the tattoo can be viewed as a psychic crutch aimed to repair a crippled self-image, inspire hope, keep noxious emotions at bay, and reduce the discrepancy between the individual and his aspirations. Tattoos accomplish this by working synergistically with a host of psychic mechanisms to allay anxiety and protect the ego. Unquote. Think of that what you may. There was someone who read his paper, Gary Waltz. He was a senior resident in psychiatry at the University Hospitals of Cleveland. And he wrote a reply to Grumet stating, I've been struck by the relatively common appearance of tattoos among enlisted personnel, as well as the relatively infrequent appearance of tattoos among officers. Unquote. He attributed this difference between enlisted personnel and officers to the subservient role of the enlisted, and he said, quote, Verbal dialogue between enlisted men and officers is not engendered, which I believe leads to other forms of communication being employed to cope with the enlisted man's insecurities. Omnipotent drill sergeants, fears of dying, etc. Resorting to a symbolically visual means of communication allows him to be seen and not heard, permits the enlisted man to make some personal statement especially ones contrary to military policy and rules, with impunity. So, from criminality, psychosis, sexual deviance, personality disorders, insecurity, hostility, or impotence, as late as 1983, there doesn't seem to be much good that can be inferred from a Western person possessing a tattoo, according to psychiatrists. Conversations like this kind of remind me 
of being taught the pink hair sign in medical school, which was supposed to raise red flags for personality disorders. Grumet's context, both culturally and among psychiatrists, was much different than ours today, especially regarding the demographics of tattooed people. He summarized demographics at the time as 9% of U.S. men and less than 1% of U.S. women bearing tattooed marks. Since his writing, there has been a dramatic shift in the demographics of tattooed population. A Harris poll conducted periodically since 2003 found in 2015 that 31% of females reported at least one tattoo, leading males by an estimated 4 percentage points. 55% of those aged 30 to 39 claimed a tattoo in the same year. So as our population ages, the prevalence of tattoos appears to be on the rise. It may be tempting to argue that because of these demographic changes and corresponding changes in beliefs and attitudes relating to tattoos, policies toward the possession and display of tattoos in the 21st century would be far more advanced as well. For example, one might expect that simply possessing a tattoo would not result in the exclusion of citizens from employment in the military or their involuntary discharge from the military. However, less than a decade ago, this became the official policy of the U.S. Army. I should mention now and self-disclose that I am a member of the U.S. Army, but in this podcast, I am never speaking on behalf of the Army. I'm not ever speaking on behalf of the federal government or the Department of Defense, the hospitals that I work at, or the Defense Health Agency. I am stating all of this information simply as historical curiosity about how tattoos have been treated in the military. This history just happens to be within the last decade. In the 1990s and early 2000s, tattooing was common among military recruits, and incidents had rose and increased with time in the military. For example, a survey of over 1,800 recruits in basic and advanced initial military trainings in the year 2000 found that 36% of the recruits had entered the military with at least one tattoo. Later, to help like, increase numbers of recruits during the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, tattoo restrictions were greatly relaxed in the Army. Then, in 2011, Sergeant Major of the Army Raymond Chandler proposed new tattoo rules, and these were far more strict than even the rules that existed previously to 2000. In addition to banning tattoos that were extremist, racist, sexist, or lewd, the sergeant major of the army argued that any tattoo visible at all in any uniform, including tattoos that were just below the elbow or below the knees, regardless of the context, were perceived as contrary to good order and discipline, and so reflected poorly on the army. Many soldiers did not agree with this. But despite protests of soldiers and many civilians, in 2013, new tattoo restrictions were passed and published in 2014. Commanders were required to document all tattoos of all service members, and these would be updated in a central database in order to identify any possible new tattoos, because no one could get any new tattoos. While current members could grandfather in their old tattoos, the ones showing below their elbows and their knees, 
Additional standards were severely restricted on the number, size, and placement of any additional tattoos. Those enlisted personnel who had grandfathered tattoos were barred from commissioning as officers or being appointed as warrant officers, so this greatly limited their potential for a promotion. Commanders were ordered to check all soldiers for new tattoos every year. The reaction by service members was intense. Additionally, it became more and more difficult to find otherwise qualified recruits who could meet or would submit to the strict tattoo standards, and it became more difficult to retain enlisted personnel. It is unclear how many personnel this directly affected, because in 2015, just about a year later, the following Sergeant Major of the Army, Daniel Daly, dramatically changed course again. So they just limited placement of tattoos to above the wrists and below the neckline, unless they were given a waiver. Except during initial entry training, tattoos were no longer required to be documented unless they were otherwise suspected of being extremist, racist, sexist, or indecent. The definition of each of these criteria is not super clear, but the Army defines indecent as being grossly offensive to modesty, decency, or propriety, shock to the moral sense because of their vulgar, filthy, or disgusting nature, or tendency to incite lustful thought, or tend reasonably to corrupt morals or incite libidinous thoughts, i.e. naked female or male bodies, graphic body parts, depictions of sexual acts." Unquote. After that, things were mostly quiet on tattoos in the Department of Defense and the U.S. Army until 2021. So after the January 6th Capitol riots, the Pentagon announced it was redoubling efforts to exclude extremists from the military. And it started to more thoroughly screen new recruits for extremist tattoos, especially those associated with white supremacy. So to do this, they used a centralized database maintained by the DOD and the FBI. Some of the potential symbols include what might otherwise appear to be like innocuous objects. We will understand that a, a white man wearing a swastika is a racist symbol, but things like lightning bolts, skulls, eagles, barbed wire, hobnob boots, hammers, the Punisher symbol, are all used by white supremacists. Now, white supremacist groups have a long history of appropriating other cultural symbols in order to hide their own presence. Given that whites can easily draw from the symbology of their European ancestors, like Vikings, and the fact that American minorities are less likely to be able to do this, it is possible that a greater portion of tattoos of immigrants or persons of color could be distinct enough to be flagged as potentially extremist, while those of white supremacists could slip through as, well, historical or innocuous. The evaluation process is really not very simple. Because our society is increasingly tattooed, the use of tattoos to systematically exclude persons from, for example, military service, will increasingly affect the lives of millions of Americans by removing a potential or actual source of income or access to health care or training. Among civilians, tattoos may also carry stigma associated with assumptions about their personality traits, and this can have financial consequences, 
including difficulty acquiring or maintaining employment, especially if the employer is from a previous generation. But given the current trends, employers soon may not be able to find individuals without visible tattoos to fill their positions. And the medical establishment is not free of blame here either. According to a 2019 study, tattooed individuals were still assumed to be more culpable for a medical illness, even if they could have done nothing to prevent it. Hopefully, as a greater portion of our doctors and nurses sport their own tattoos, this stigma will resolve. Humans have a history of tattooing, which stretches millennia into prehistory. The Western ban on tattoos by the early church resulted in a systematic effort to paint tattooed individuals as pagan, primitive, vulgar, criminal, or mentally ill. Psychiatrists have historically contributed to this characterization, but they are in a position now to reframe how citizens and policymakers view tattooed individuals. Finally, if you're thinking about getting a tattoo and are concerned that maybe some extremist or white supremacist group may have appropriated that tattoo, you can go to the Anti-Defamation League's website, that's www.adl.org, where you can just search Anti-Defamation League and tattoos. Click the links and browse their database. Thank you for listening. You can find references in the transcript at sidactic.buzzsprout.com. I also hope to have a video companion to this episode finished within the next week or two, which will be available on YouTube. Just type in at Sidactic into the search bar. I am Dr. O'Leary, and this has been an episode of Sidactic.